This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Darren Banks and Adam Bird, and now we've got Daniels and Banks pumping. Gillis is belted from behind by Wesley. Jim McKenzie's throwing punches. And everybody... Darren Banks was born in Toronto in 1966. He played in 20 NHL games with the Boston Bruins between 1992 and 1994. His rookie card is from 1992. A serious looking Darren is in the white, black, and gold of the Boston Bruins. He's looking into the camera and means business. Let's meet the man from the card. So Darren, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. You're, um, you're roughly the same age as me, uh, I think a few years older, and we both played um, university hockey. I, I didn't play against you, but I played briefly for the University of Waterloo and I can in my research I read that you played for uh, Brock University in St. Catharines Ontario and um, so it's nice to have a few things in common and I think you grew up in uh, Windsor area if, that, if that's correct as well. Yes I grew up in Windsor and went to Brock of many places that I went I went there. <laughs> that's awesome so I'm just going to start out by asking if you can see this this is your uh, rookie card yeah. so um, let's look at the card and uh, first asking you sort of what comes to mind when you look at this rookie card with the Boston Bruins. First thing that comes to me is you're, you're always trying to figure out from the cards that I have where the picture was taken or when it was taken. And when I look at it, I notice I got a Canadian hockey stick and I had that only in training camp because I wore all Louisville stuff. So that picture was taken probably a preseason game somewhere. Wow. That's, that's neat to see that you, uh, you remember all that. That uh, and there, there probably was a few cards because we're we're getting around the time 1993 where more and more cards were coming to play, and also like you say the preseason. Sometimes people didn't get cards until they had played for one or two seasons, so that that's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I have that card. I have a few other cards, but I have another card. It's actually, I have. I'm wearing actually number 20, but you can't tell in the picture. But I, I know it because I, I, you can kind of see the zero on my arm. You can't see the two. And see, I only wore that jersey one game. And it was because our jerseys were brand new. We were on the West Coast, and uh, I scored two goals and an assist in that game. That's all I know. I, I can't forget it. Yeah. Uh, and I was wearing number 20 that game. Oh. So if you, you remember this was the exhibition game, and did you play a couple exhibition games that season? I probably played all of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Okay. So um, did you collect cards as a young person? Yeah, I collected all kinds. I mean, we didn't keep them like people do now. They were in my spokes and my uh, bicycle. Um, we played leans easier, whatever it was called at school. So I had stocks and stocks of them when I was a kid. So um, did you continue collecting cards as you got older did, did you just stop collecting and did, did you have any cards you remembered when you were playing pro or, or semi-pro uh no <laughs> i never 
I stopped after I was a kid. I never really collected cards again. And I think back, I mean, I had Bobby Orr's rookie card. I had Gordy Howell's rookie card. I had a lot of really good cards, but you didn't care back no. then. It was just playing a game. Yeah. Yeah. Very neat. So let's think back to your early childhood. Do you remember when you first started skating and when you learned to skate and who supported you? Uh, what I kind of remember, I don't remember it really, but I just, you know, what I was told, my mother taught me how to skate. So my father's never had a pair of skates on his life. Uh, my dad was in a serious car accident when I was two or three. And so my mother was the one that taught me how to skate. And I learned to skate out in a park, uh, next to our house. So we had a park that firemen would come and flood the park and all the kids would go out there and skate. And the older kids would like play hockey games out there. So that's in Windsor? In Windsor, yeah. So how much time did you spend out on the ice when you were a young person? Well, I was fortunate. So I had that park, two houses over I lived from, and we moved when I was five, and we had the park backing up to our house. And same type of thing. They, but we, the kids built the arena. The older kids built the rink. And I would skate all day, as long as I could. Mother just yell at me, never take my skates off, walk through the snow, through the backyard, probably go in the house with my skates on, eat, and go right back out there again. I mean, that's really what it takes to draw a passion for someone to play hockey. And do you remember if you were good at skating and, and hockey from day one? Um, yeah, I mean, I could, as what I can remember, because uh, I didn't play hockey until I was seven. So I skated when I was three and four and five. It was in the park. And then uh, neighbors were said to my parents, you know, why don't you put your son in hockey? He's probably one of the better skaters out here. And my parents, not knowing anything about hockey, were just like, okay, you know, he's good at sports, so we'll just put him in it and see how he goes from there. So which teams did you play for when you first started out? What what level were you playing at? I went right from, I think it was half ice when I first started at seven. Then the first, I don't remember the next year, but the following year I was on the AAA travel team at nine years old. And then I was on that right till I turned junior. Okay. And did that group of players stay relatively the same throughout your childhood? The, the players you played with on that travel rep team in Windsor? On those travel teams, they pretty much stayed the same unless a kid's parents moved away. And then I got cut actually after I was the captain of the team. I got cut when I was 15 by a coach who didn't like me because of my color. Um, cut me and I went and played it like I guess they called it house league or pioneer and I was really upset about it and uh my dad said don't worry about it and he put me in a league over in Detroit on a travel team in Detroit so I played on a travel team in Detroit in a house league in Windsor wow that's interesting for the whole year yeah so what position did you play and what type of player were you as a young kid I played defense most I would say probably until I was 14 or 15 I played defense most of the time and then um and then I became you know I then I went up to four I think because I could score goals in defense I could outskate a lot of kids when I was younger and then I, I mean I don't remember a lot of my you know my when I was 12 and 13 I don't remember a lot of that but um I then I went up to four I remember when I got older at the time I was like 14 or 15 somewhere around there I went I started playing forward so at that time who were some of your favorite hockey stars that you remember? Did you have any? Yeah, I didn't have teams. So people go, well, what was your favorite team? I didn't have a team. Because, again, my parents didn't really watch hockey. So I liked uh, Bobby Clark. I liked uh, Bobby Orr. 
Gordie Howe, uh, Ken Dryden, uh, the characters, I would call them characters now, um, great players. And some were just the way they were, you know, David Schultz, because uh, he was so tough. I liked them. Uh, it was boring. So obviously anything in Toronto, Hockey Night in Canada was showing, I would see that. So you didn't know guys from Vancouver Canucks, uh, especially because we didn't really watch hockey. We watched it, but not, not religiously like some parents. Like my dad was never into hockey. You remember watching with yourself, with your, with your friends? Was that your experience? Yeah. I mean, I would watch it, you know, and hear about it at school. Right. So I'd be like, Oh, I got to see, watch it. So then it was hockey night in Canada. My dad would never say no. A lot of times he wasn't home. So I, you know, he'd be at work. So I would watch hockey night in Canada. And back there you got Toronto Maple Leafs or you got the Montreal Canadiens. Mostly it was Toronto. And then when we were lucky, we had channel 20. So we got to watch Detroit Red Wings. So as a young person, were there other sports you were good at, at that you uh, participate in, whether that was within the school or outside the school? Yeah, they're pretty much, I was probably like the best athlete in every sport there was. Like really good in basketball, really good in track. Like I had never been beaten in a hundred meter dash in my entire life. And when I did, I quit. Um, played a lot of baseball. I was probably a better baseball player than a hockey player. And you played on a traveling baseball team? Yeah, I played for, we actually went the, they had, they didn't have the all Canadians, as you so call it. It was only all Ontario. And when I remember we played well in almost every tournament we went to, and it was us and them in the finals, and we normally would beat them. But they were a team that had like, we had a left-handed pitcher that could throw 80 miles an hour at 14 years old. And they had a kid that could do the same thing, but at right-handed. Uh, and majority of their team was left-handed. They couldn't hit them. So, you know, I was really good in baseball. Uh, but I didn't, I only like to go up the bat. I, I didn't mind playing first base, but they put me in the outfield because I was fast and I hated it because the ball never came out there. So, you know, baseball just slowly dwindled away, but uh, I was really, really good in baseball. Looping back to uh, some of your stars, were you aware of um, players like Tony McKechnie? I know that um, I remember him around that period of time and Tony's been on our show as well. Do you recall? Um, being aware that he was playing for the Sabres around that, that time when you were playing hockey? No, I seen Tony play in junior first because he kept playing against the Windsor Spitfires. And I was excited because I was like, there's a black guy playing junior hockey. I'd never seen one, never heard of it. And I thought I was really excited. I always wanted to meet him, but I never got a chance. To, but back then, you didn't really get to meet a kid who was really, what, seven, eight years older than you. Uh, you didn't really get an opportunity to meet him. But I thought it was cool. And I was like, this guy's really good. And then my, I always strive to be, I was like, I was going to play in the NHL and it didn't matter how I was going to get there. I knew I've, I'm kind of strong willed that way. People with a lot of, a lot of naysayers. And I was like, you know, I'm going to play in the NHL and don't really care what anyone else thinks. So you mentioned about going over to play in Detroit. Um, there'd be a little bit more um, population of uh, black people in Detroit and also parts of Southern uh, Ontario and Chatham. Were there other athletes at the time in hockey that you played against that were black as a young person? Not really. Not, the only not one. that I remember. I mean, we'd go to a lot of tournaments. I might see another black kid from Wallaceburg or something like that, um, but not very often. I I would say majority of the time, maybe if I was lucky, there'd be 1%, uh, you know, black guys out there in the ice. Yeah. So I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I also wanted to touch on, um, 
these other players you played against? Are there some future NHL stars you recalled either playing with or playing against in that whole era of minor hockey leading up to junior? Um, playing with none. Uh, playing against, I played against Sean Burr my whole entire life. And he played for Detroit, right? From the time you know, he played for Sarnia. So, and I just remember Sean Burr not being the biggest guy, and God rest his soul, but he was the mouthiest guy. But he was one of the better players on the team. Oh, it was like, that was my competition was, you got to be better than that guy. You got to be more aggressive than that guy. Um, but that was, he, he was probably the closest to me. There might have been a few others there, but not many, not from more around our area. Okay. And there are there some people who stand out who influenced your development as a hockey player as a, as a, at a young age? Just my parents, to be honest with you. I mean, but there were a lot of older kids. And I could play, you know, even at a young age, say 12, and they were 15 or 14. I could go out there and play with them and be competitive with them. So I wasn't afraid of them. I wasn't afraid. That was the other thing. Is I wasn't afraid of anybody, you know. There back then, you know, you had big guys that wanted to hurt smaller players. And but I was kind of a big lanky kid, but I wasn't afraid of anybody. And I liked to be physical. So that was like wasn't afraid. So it was easy for me to play against older guys. And I knew if well, I could play with them, then I could play with anybody. Okay. And were there some coaches that were influential that you had multiple years, or did the coaches change? Was anyone that stands out as was it really really in your corner? Well, I mean, Mr. Campbell at nine years old, really supportive of me, like really backed me, you know, because there was a lot of prejudiced people there. So a lot of people didn't say a lot to you. Um, but Mr. Campbell at a really young age and then Jeff Cranker at Midget, who seemed to be, you know, he was really in my corner. And then, I mean, until, until I turned pro, you know, I had some really, really good coaches when I turned pro. But as a young guy, th those are two that I can think of that really okay. stood out. So, you know, you love the game. You invested a lot of time. Um, in terms of the issue of um, racism you experienced as a young person, was it was it very difficult on you or is it something that, that um, you know, you, you, you worked through? Were there some barriers and challenges you had that you had to work through as a young person? I wouldn't say a lot of barriers. Um, you know, it, there were some challenges. You know, kids calling me, calling me names and I would just retaliate immediately like it didn't didn't care if they had the puck or whatever um but then as i got older i realized this kid you know calls me a name <laughs> there's a chance to get him back and it's not going to be that hard and it'll be legal and but when i hit him i'm hitting him to hurt him so that's how i looked at it and again me being the type of player i was especially you know before you get into junior uh i was pretty aggressive a lot of guys you know kept their mouth they might have said it but they said it from a distance so it looked like you had to kind of police things yourself or were there, were there teammates and coaches that stood in your corner? Any, any instance you remember? None that I can remember, but I guarantee it, it was, you know, things were said and coaches would be like, Darren, don't worry about it. Cause you can see, I get upset about it. Right. And I kind of get out of control maybe sometimes. Um, but I, like I, can't, like I said, I don't remember my, my youth back then. I don't know. My memory's kind of foggy now, but, there, um, I, I don't remember a lot. Of, I don't remember really any instances that I couldn't handle on the ice. For the most part, if it was on the ice, I was going to handle it myself. So you talked about seeing Tony McKegney and being inspired. Um, were you aware of him before you went to see that game? Or was that the first time you actually saw like a, a black player playing junior hockey? 
he was probably the first time I'd seen one playing, you know, first black guy I'd seen playing junior and being good, not just some guy on the team type of thing. Uh, you know, I had a couple, I would call them, we call them cousins. But they're probably not really cousins, but kind of closely related. Um, so that like a year younger than me or a year older than me. So it's not the only black kid that I would see skating because I had these guys that were in my hometown that were kind of related to me. Oh, that's neat. So when did you realize you had a future in the sport? You talked about at a certain point in time, you were kind of determined that you were going to find a way. Do you, do you recall that moment when you were, you said like, you know, you're going to be committed to making it through the NHL someday. I would say my first or second year at Brock, my first year at Brock and my roommate who him and I were relatively the same type of player, same way we played big guys, skated hard, could shoot, could score. And I used to say to him, I'm going to make the NHL. And he's like, you know, the chances you make the NHL is not going to happen. And I'm like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And he, I tell you right now, to this day, my first exhibition game with the Calgary Flames in Toronto, he was the first guy at the arena. So, you know, he's, I told him back then that I was going to play. And he's like, you know, it's impossible. And he was like, you know, a pretty good player in OHL. And I didn't really, I bounced around a lot. And I just, you know, I just put my head down and, you know, and started playing a little harder and doing things a little differently. Yeah, your numbers were pretty good at Brock in terms of um, high-scoring two-way player. So did you have to change your role at all in terms of your quest to making to the NHL when you made that leap from Brock to minor pro to the NHL? No, I wouldn't say change anything. What happened was my first year at Brock, I went to Bowling Green first, which you won't see anywhere, right? It was kind of almost like a blank year. Uh, I went to Brock, and after my first year, I was going to go turn pro. And I went to Flinch training camp in the eye and was playing really well, pulled my groin like day three. And then I just started guys coming in, guys going out, guys coming. I'm like, like, this is pro hockey. I was there for two weeks. I'll never forget it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a lot of turnover here. You know, if you want to stay, you're going to have to play a lot harder. So I went back to school and then I went two more years. And then after that, I just said, that's enough. I'm ready to go. If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. So you end up getting a a contract signing obviously through the minor protein and then that played Boston now. So, um, so your style was a little bit more of a, a rugged play, not, not easy to do to answer the bell to, to be um, may, maybe like a bit of an enforcer on the team. It's not an easy role having this responsibility. Were, were there, were there impacts that um, you didn't see coming in terms of um, the pressures of playing that role? No, because I liked it. <laughs> you won't hear a lot of guys say that, but I actually enjoyed it. And I was, because again, I could score goals and with certain coaches, they didn't want me fighting. So I'm like, no, that guy just ran our D man. And I wouldn't even think twice about it. Right. I would just go after him or I would do something that would cause a fight with the other team. So it was, uh, 
I like again, I kind of liked it. I just like playing really rough. And I knew that an intimidation factor in hockey, especially back then, was so easy. Cause I mean, you'd literally run a guy, and next time I would just say, I am coming. And he'd hear I'd scream at him. And he'd literally just let me get the puck first. And then after that, because I was big, you weren't necessarily going to take it from me. So now I'm trying to, not that I would score a goal, but at least get us a scoring chance. Create a lot of space out there, right? Kind of commanded yeah. space, yeah. So this journey from Brock to pro, can you walk us through then what those steps were? Um, you mentioned a couple of years transition, then you played for for Boston. Take us up to that point in time. Yeah, so of course, I told you the first one when I went to Brock, went to Flint, went back to school. And then a friend of mine, Nick Vitusi, who had lived in the area in Welland, said, I'm going to go to Winston-Salem. So I went with him. And no, not Winston-Salem, went to Knoxville, Tennessee, I think. No, it was Winston-Salem, sorry. And got there and somehow I got traded to Knoxville, like immediately. And went there and Donnie Jackson was the coach who had played with the Edmonton Oilers and he had a few cups with him. And... He would talk to me, just, you know, this is what you got to do. This, You know, you're an aggressive player. You're, you can get things done. You can score. You're not afraid of anybody. And I actually got called up from the East Coast League to Fort Wayne in the middle of the season. And he wanted me back. So I only played for like two games, came back, and then I signed with Calgary, like during that year. And then I went up to Salt Lake. Calgary being the pro team? Okay. Flames. So yeah. – we have you down as playing for Boston, Boston, right? And then uh, was it only Boston or was it Calgary as well? Well, I was in Calgary first with the organization. So I played in Salt Lake. Okay. But I had yeah. an opportunity in my last year where I was almost 90% sure I was going up and I got my jaw broken and with a slap shot to the face. And then oh, wow. the next year I signed with Boston. Okay. So tell us what it was like playing your first uh, official NHL game in the NHL, do you remember where that was? Um, was it in Boston? Was it another city? And what was that whole experience like? So after playing exhibition games, I knew I could play. So, and then I went through training camps, you know, different training camps. But that first game, uh, I'll never forget it. Now, obviously, you can't. Uh, I was with Dmitry Kvartilov. Uh, they called him Special K, okay, Russian kid. And we were taking a cab, which was three miles from the, from the arena, from the hotel to the arena and we were running late. The traffic in Boston was ridiculous late. And we had to jump out of the cab and run maybe two blocks, run literally in our suits because we didn't want to be late and we didn't know what was going to happen. But that first game, I was so pumped up playing at the Boston Garden against Hartford. And I hit everything that went by me. And I almost started a five on five brawl. I mean, it was just, it was just one thing after another. It was like three on three scrums, me jumping at guys. Just I don't remember the game, how I played. I, I have no idea. But I just remember I was hitting guys every chance I got. Really, yeah, unique moment. So um, so you played that game. And maybe just talk, tell us about um, your upcoming games and your experience for the rest of that season. Are there any highlights you wanted to touch on? Well, I <laughs> played in Buffalo. And that's next to Brock in St. Catharines, right? Really close. So I had about 75 people at the game and my parents were there. They'd seen me play a few exhibition games, but uh, they never, you know, they hadn't seen a real game. And I was, again, just hitting everything in sight, trying to stir up things. And all I wanted to do was fight Rob Bray. 
That's all I wanted to do. And Rob Ray took a cheap shot at Dave Pullen. And I had already skated out of the zone, like already out of the zone. And I turned around like halfway past the red line and just skated right back at him and tried to cross jack him. And he ducked on me. And, uh, and then he was blowing kisses at me on a face off. It was just one crazy thing after another, but I was like, I think, I don't even remember what the score was. I'm pretty sure we got beat. We didn't play that well. And, but I got thrown out of the game and it was just a typical game for me, but it was, I was, I was excited and I was pumped out, especially because my mom and dad were yeah. there. And then did you win most of the fights that you were involved in when you played that season? Yeah, I didn't lose. I, I, the only fight I would say I lost and it wasn't really a really losing fight was I fought Stu Grimson and he was screaming at me from the bench or whatever. And I think I ran Chris Chelios and he's like, you can't touch him. I <laughs> said, so I'll touch whoever I want. And then he came out and slashed me. But anyways, we went to a fight and I had played with Stu in Salt Lake. So I knew him and I was trying to, you know, trying to grab on him. He kept backing away, kept backing away. And then I threw, I tried to throw a punch instead of grabbing him and I missed him. When I missed him, he hit me over the top of the helmet and I fell and then he hit me again and I was it. But that's the only fight that I would say, eh, guy, if, if the fans are watching, they're going to say he got the, you know, the upper hand on you. But for me, I was just like, I was mad. All I wanted to do was fight him again, but he never got another shift. So you were brought up for some muscle with Boston. Were there other players um, with some toughness in that year or, or was um, most of those responsibilities resting on you? I was probably, well, Glenn Featherstone was on defense. And probably just me, but they had signed Darren Kimball. This is how I kind of got kind of screwed over. They picked him up in waivers just before, you know, the season started. But he had gotten into a car accident. And Boston was all about how much money does that guy make? How much money does he make? Where do we save money? Can't send that guy in a one way down to the minors. So I was going down. So I kind of I kind of got, you know, screwed over. If, if it was like today's game, I probably would have stayed up there, but because of the way they worked in Boston, trying to save the old mighty penny, they, uh, yeah. And, um, were there, were there other teams that may have, um, picked you up? Um, was that a possibility for you? Cause you mentioned about going from Calgary to Boston. Well, yeah. So my second year I played every game that Cam Neely didn't play the back-to-back games. I played that second game. And they, uh, and then I played, I'll never forget it. I played like eight days in, in a row and I was fighting in Providence, fighting in Boston. And it was just wherever the teams were, I was traveling everywhere. And I just said to my agent, I go, I can't do this. Like what, you know, how am I going to stay up in Boston and do what they want up there? And they're going to send me back right after the game, no matter what happens. So we gave them the ultimatum to either keep me up or trade me. And they said, well, he's going to go back down this weekend. He'll come back up next week on Monday and he'll either stay up or work his way down or whatever. Right. And I blew up my right shoulder and it just, it never came back to fruition. And then a lot of things happened after that. Hmm. So Darren, do you also remember any of the favorite um, cities that stand out to you that you played in when you were in the NHL? San Jose, because they played in the Cow Palace when we played against them. And I also scored two goals and an assist there. So that was like one of my biggest games of my career. Um, that was a great city. L.A. with all the Hollywood stars, 
you know, along the, you know, the glass and being in the forum club after, but Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens and the forum were unbelievable. As a Canadian kid, get to play in those buildings. Uh, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. That's really special. So um, during these minor pro years and pro was, uh, was racism issue on the ice with any players um, or was it just peripheral to the fans or can you tell us about that? It was mostly the fans. You didn't get it. Again, my attitude never changed. Right. I'm a tough guy. Someone runs their mouth. That's gave me ammunition to kill. Them. <laughs> so it was, that's how I responded to things back then. Um, but the fans were the, you know, they were the nasty ones. They, you get down to Phoenix and the things they would say in Kansas city. But, you know, one of the things I could always shut a person up without even swearing at them. And then I'd say, I just yell at them and say, Hey, Hey, stupid. Where are you working tomorrow? Cause I want to pay money to watch you work. And that usually would shut a guy's mouth or person's mouth. Uh, and you know, they, then it would just, you know, banks you stink type of thing, but big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really sad to, to think that all that uh, you had to endure in terms of the, uh, the fan experience. Uh, so that, that, that's really unfortunate. Um, so could I ask you um, to talk a little bit about were there health issues or anything? I, I thought I had read that uh, you were involved in a uh, lawsuit regarding concussions and injuries. Was there something that impacted you and others that you were involved with? Well, you know, it just, I mean, I've had multiple surgeries, shoulder. Um, when I got tested for the concussions, though, um, the nurse asked me, or doctor, whatever, asked me, have I ever been diagnosed with a concussion? And I said, no. Like, they never came out to me and said I had a concussion. And I said, what, you know, what were the signs, excuse me, what were the signs of having a concussion? And they said, were you ever dizzy? And I said, yeah, almost every game. And... She goes, that's definitely a sign of you guys being concussed. But we didn't know, right? They didn't tell us back then. Um, you didn't know anything about it. You would actually make fun of guys who didn't know where they were sometimes, right? Guy hit me really hard, landed on my head, sitting on the bench, not really sure where it's going on. A few shifts later, back on the ice, play a few shifts, then the period's over and not remember the shifts at all. But by the time the second period started, I was fine. So, you know, we, you weren't diagnosed back then is you weren't diagnosed at all. No one ever said anything. Trainers never said nothing. You never seen a doctor about it. Um, until Pat LaFontaine, you hear about him, you know, had to put sunglasses on because he couldn't walk with all the lights. Um, that was the first time I'd ever really heard of anybody really concussions made a difference. So did anything come of result of that, uh, lawsuit? for you or any of the other players? I was on the lawsuit case of it. Um, you know, they they didn't really pay guys, but they gave us an opportunity to get help later. But I mean, how do you know if you need it, right? <laughs> you know, um, it, it was like future health help or whatever you want to call it. But I don't know how you're supposed to know that you need it, but. So you were the 20th black player to play in the NHL. Um, does it feel any different or special to be one of the few black players who've, who have played at least one NHL game? It's nice to know. I mean, you know, you think of Jackie Robinson. That's what I think of first is Jackie Robinson. But then, you know, um, Herb Carnegie, right? I'd never heard of him. 
You know, I had never heard of him. Even when Tony McKechnie was playing, I'd never heard of him. So Tony McKechnie and Grant Fear were the first two black guys that I had even had any idea played hockey and, and played in the NHL. And then as I get older, you know, I'm playing in the eye, I see more guys who played in the NHL. And then that year with Atlanta, having five guys on a on a team, which I thought was amazing. Uh, and then, then you get to find out there, there's guys out there that you didn't know were half black either. Right. So you're, you find out there's a few more guys out there that are half black and, or, you know, you just don't know which way, what side they're, you know, they're thinking they call themselves, but, uh, you know, if the public seeing their parent, one parent, you know, you know exactly what they're going to call. Them. Yeah. So there's far more black and biracial players for sure. Yeah. And you talked about your experience um, having the accessibility of a rink right beside your home, you mentioned, and Tony McKechnie was on the show earlier and he talked about him being adopted and his adopted parents flooding in ice and the accessibility. You, you've spent hours and hours on the ice and your, your father, you mentioned, wasn't really into hockey much at all, but, but because it was accessible to you, you jumped on it. So what, now that we're at a different stage, there's far more people who are, um, visible minorities in this country than ever before and and increasingly more visible minorities um from who are immigrants what, what do you think needs to to change in order for more people to uh access the game that are underrepresented groups well i, I think first of all the nhl has got to step up more than what they do uh every city i mean not just the cities that they play in i mean there's a lot of their cities um you know out of say Las Vegas or in between Vegas and LA or, you know, where I live now that there might be some black youth there to have, or under, and not necessarily black, it can be Hispanic, uh, whatever underprivileged kids that don't have the opportunity to play hockey. And with the the money that these owners make, they get easily to the recreational areas or anywhere there's the rinks, have skates for kids to be able to go out there and play, have sticks for kids to be able to go out there and play they could give the stick back when they're done or the skates back when they're done, but you have to have the opportunity. And I was given the opportunity, thankful I lived in Canada and they put, you know, the kids melted the, or put the ice outside. Uh, I had the opportunity to play, but, and that's with any kid, you give them the opportunity, you never know what kind of, what can happen with them. So you transitioned, maybe you can talk about your transition after hockey when you retired. I, I think you mentioned you're in, you're in Vegas now. Um, you want to talk about your transition to life after hockey? Yeah. When, when I first, when I first retired, I didn't have a clue what to do. You know, again, they didn't educate us either. You know, you weren't given all these programs that these kids have now, uh, learn what to do with your money and stuff like that. Um, so my first three years, I didn't do anything. I just hung out, worked out once in a while, and just kind of vacation, play golf. Um, that's what I did. And then finally, you know, I come to the realization that I'm not going to have any money <laughs> if I don't get a job. And they don't, again, they weren't, you weren't taught how to get a job. What, like, what, what do you do? How much education do you have? Thank God I'd went to university. I have some, I have a skill set for it might not have a degree, but I have a skill set for it. Um, and it's, it's amazing that the jobs, you know, I worked for CP rail for seven years. I was operations manager. 
not so much there, but when I took this new job with the casino, the owner didn't care what degree I had. He didn't care if I had my master's. He knew the relationship building and the team building that I have, experience I have playing a hockey player was going to make us a good asset for him and his company. And I've heard him, you know, with other people, with people that we've hired that are, you know, mostly they're all younger than me. Um, he doesn't care what they went to school for. You know, he's about what relationship building can they do? What team building can you do? Because you got to be a team no matter what company you're with. Even if you own a company, you still got to, you know, you have to have that team mentality. So that really emphasizes the lifelong skills you get, not only from playing in an NHL, obviously, but your, your lifetime of, in athletics and specifically the determination you had through hockey. So that's a really good message to, to, to send. I also wanted to pick up on what you talked about, the access to hockey and what you're seeing out there right now in Vegas. They have an NHL team. And again, you talked about responsibility, maybe the NHL doing more and I get the sense you're you're really seeing there's an untapped potential in terms of hockey expanding. If the NHL and others can just find a way, there's some good things happening, but just that accessibility compared to other sports doesn't seem to be there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't follow it, so I don't know, you know, I'm completely correct about it, but you know, they have the little nights, our casino sponsors them, you know, but that's, no nice program to help kids to get out there. But I don't know how a kid's supposed to get there if he doesn't know about it. Unless, you know, if, you know, if he's never been to the game. So are they going to the schools and telling these, you know, these kids about hockey? I don't know. But that's what I think where it's got to start. Um, and not just necessarily, you know, getting the, one of the nice players to go to a school because the kid, some of them have probably never seen the game. But I guess, the, you know, I've, I've heard these guys are going and playing floor hockey, and that's a good start. Uh, to get them introduced to hockey, figure out what it is before they get a pair of skates on their feet. Um, you can see it growing here, and, and this is a growing city. This is a team that's right from the beginning, from the roots up, trying to start hockey and trying to get kids involved. I see it, but I'm not part of it. Um, uh, it's just, but I, you know, in other cities, I don't know how it's working. Uh, I know in Detroit it works because I've been in part of that when I first retired. So I've seen, and they had their whole um, Clark Park was being built from the ground up and it's been around for a long time. Do you remember in any of your minor pro or NHL experiences where um, you, you knew to, you knew because you were out there, some uh, minority kids were really, wow, that's neat. Or there was any community outreach programs where it really felt you were really being a role model and it was special to see kids look up to you? I remember in, like in the minor pro teams, you would actually go to schools a lot. Like there'd be, I would bet you I went to four a year and that's just me going. And they, they would make other guys go to the, you know, the schools. So I think it was out there more with the minor teams, mostly because they don't have the fans that come to their games. But um, I don't know if the NHL teams do it like that, but we did a lot of school appearances and the kids are excited, really excited. And did it. you remember ever having a following of um, black or physical minority fans in any of the markets you played in? Yeah, I'd always have, I would always see little black kids and I could tell the way they're looking at you, right? That they're like, you know, I could maybe be that guy. I wouldn't have a conversation with them, but I could tell the way they're looking at me. And And again, some of those schools you went to, we're in the areas where the parents, didn't, or they might have a single parent, but they didn't have parents that could afford hockey. 
So the kids there got to see it. They were excited. They were really excited. So do you keep in touch with any of your teammates from any of those days? Um, I know you talked about your uh, uh, roommate, your teammate at Brock University, but there's people that you're, you connect with and do you connect with other um, black players you may have met throughout your journey through NHL, any of the, any other NHL black players? Uh, black players, Grant Fear is probably my closest. Uh, I talk to Grant all the time. I see him. I play in his golf tournaments. Uh, I take care of him when he comes out to my casino. Uh, Jason Dodd. I mean, there's a, a handful of black guys because a lot of them I didn't know because I didn't play with them, right? I didn't really know them. And you know, unless you get that opportunity to meet, meet him in a summer at a golf tournament, I never really got to know the guy. Uh, teammates, I, I mean, anybody that's ever been my teammate can tell you. And that if I, t- they're like, Banksy still talks to these guys. Talk to this guy from 12 years ago. You know, they're amazed that I still keep in contact. And that's that's my personality. I was the fun guy, um, never really serious until I went on the ice and the Jekyll and Hyde personality went. Um, but I, I don't know. I just like being around people. Yeah. I don't care who you yeah. are. Um, I'll find the good in you. And the bad in you, I'll try to change you if I know you. <laughs> And is there something special about the camaraderie of the black players you've connected with over the years that you sort of uh, can already um, connect at, at that level, just of being one of the only ones in the league? Yeah. I mean, cause you can talk about your past, right? Like how you guys came into the league. Um, and it was different than any white kid coming to the hockey league, you know, trying to play in the NHL. Uh, it wasn't easy for any of us. I mean, unless you're, you know, Grant Fear, probably the best goalie to ever play the game. It's a little different for him because he was the best. You know, the rest of us had to kind of work our way up, you know, to get up there, uh, make our way in, you know, uh, making our way and trying to stay in where he was just, you know, amazing hockey player and just top notch. You know, when you say Wayne Gretzky, you say Grant Fear, you know, so they're at that level. I was at nowhere near that level. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it doesn't matter. We all respect each other the same way, no matter. And I've always said it. I say it to guys that played one game in the NHL or you've paid 2000 games. Like I accept every single guy at my sure. casinos. That's wonderful. So I'm just going to wrap up here and, and ask you a question. If you could uh, tell us what advice you would give to a young hockey player today, someone that may be aspiring to make it to the NHL. You've got to work hard. And you can't necessarily listen to every single person that's telling you what to do because most of them have never been there. Unless he's been in the NHL, most of them never done it. Can't tell you how to get there. Uh, they can see it. You can read it in a book, read it in a computer, but you got to go out there and it's all starts right here in your heart. It's not analytics. You got to go out there and you got to do it yourself. That's really wise advice. So, Darren, it's uh, great to have you on the podcast. Um, hopefully, if I ever get out to Vegas, I'll have a chance to meet you in person. But thanks for sharing all your experiences with us today. And uh, we're looking forward to um, uh, others hearing your story and contributing to all the players from the Black Hockey Card Collection. So thank you. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey by lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org.
If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.